and welcome to the Farmer Sense Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Willard, and with me today is Andrew Fuff. How are you today, Andrew? Good, Rick. How are you doing? Did I say it right this time? You sure did. Good. We got to switch up this mix-up because it's the same one every week, so we got to we gotta start mixing it up. Like, hey, dumbass, what are you doing? Or something like that. I know, but I have it wrote down because I can't remember oh. it, so I have to read it every time. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> No, anyway, uh, so we're trying something new. Um, we, we've we um, been interviewing people, and it's always a couple weeks ahead of time or whatever before it gets released, and we like to be somewhat up to date, especially on the beginning part when we kind of chit-chat or talk or whatever. So um, we'll just kind of go through and talk about what we did this week or what's going on. Maybe we want to update on... Well, we don't want to update the markets. That's depressing. Um, Jeez, but shit show out there. <laughs> we can uh, talk about things right before we release on midnight on Friday nights. So, because that's always our release time. You go first, Andrew. What'd you do I this week for, or I was weekend? Ask you what you did this oh, week? Oh, okay. Well, we can. Yeah. Um, well, unfortunately, a friend of mine is his dad passed away, and he that was actually our high school football coach that got us to. Oh. Five and four our senior year so that was very unexpected um uh so that took place the visitation was monday night and the funeral was tuesday absolutely great person john pearson was his name and uh anyway we uh had a nice celebration tuesday afternoon after the funeral he was a, a windsor guy he liked windsor so we we bought some windsor and we toasted to him and a bunch of us got together, and uh, my he's one of my best friends is Paul Pearson, and uh, he we just had hang out in his garage, had a lot of fun. Some of us uh, that lived nearby that were on the football team and stuff were there, and of course a lot of neighbors. But yeah, it was it was a good time, and got to see some faces I hadn't seen for a while and catch up. It's always it always sucks to do it in that way. Um. The catching up, I mean, but yeah, that's just sometimes the way it happens. Um, but great weather for it. We've had beautiful weather this week. Um, very unseasonal. It's supposed to be 58 degrees today. It's <laughs> Thursday, the 22nd of February. We're recording this, so yeah, you can't beat it. Were you lighting some fires this week? <laughs> did I see that on TikTok? You the, did see that on TikTok. Was that your fire or was that one Not- you were putting out? That was uh, my fire. So I am cleaning up a fence line. So I wanted to burn off all the vegetation so I could yep. make sure I got all the wire, which I probably didn't because there was good old woven wire that was buried all the way to the top of it. So oh. I still have some wire to dig out of the fence line. And then I have some CRP um, that I burn off. The The fence line was pretty controlled. I never got nervous and it was super chill and, then I went to do the CRP after lunch, and I started it. I'm like, well, this is going really good. It's burning really slow. I'm going to go just kind of around this little corner, and I have fire breaks burnt, around, or not burnt, but mowed around it. Huh. And uh, I go light on that curve, and I just am lighting, and I look back, and I go, oh, shit. <laughs> it had jumped past my fire break oh. and got into the tall, dead grass and just took off to the southwest. 
<laughs> and I just saw flames about 10 feet high. I'm yeah. like, oh, crap. I am in, I'm like, I might, I might be out of control here. Well, back in there is where I have the trails for the kids, for the rangers. So that next trail stopped it. Oh, And I got good. so lucky to be able to get down in there, and I had trails to where I could get to with the ranger with water to, to get it under control. So it only got out of control for about 45, 50 feet. But I was super nervous for sure. I was going to ask if you had water with you and, and everything. I seem to – I never do. <laughs> I'm, I'm horrible at that. And I have it, it, but it seems like it's always cold weather time when I'm burning – and everything's always winterized and put away, so, I, yeah. But yeah, I have an eighty-gallon tank in the back of my Ranger, mm-hmm. so I'll have the t- I have a propane torch that I hang out the window to light it, and then I can come back along with the with the wand and spray right along the edge where I want it to stop. And then I'm on the fire department, so I just leave it in the shed loaded with water, and then I have my enclosed trailer hooked up, so I'll just go put it in there. And if it's not going to freeze at night, I'll just leave it in there, and then I can just take off and go yeah. to a fire. Good idea. Nice. We, we had a big fire yesterday over by Red Oak on the conservation land. I think it ended up burning like 115 acres. Oh, wow. I was going to go over there, but my fire was still going, so I wasn't going to just leave mine. <laughs> okay. But I, I would have liked to if it was a heck of a fire the way it sounded like. Yeah. I had a little fire this fall out in the bean field. Uh, it was a... I don't think I've ever talked about this yet. It, no. Um, it was a bearing on the clean grain elevator. Yeah. that I caught it because uh, I could smell the smoke. Um, so nothing major. Got the bearing knocked off, everything, and I was only a quarter mile from home. So um, what we thought we had put out, um, or I thought I had it out, drove the combine uh, up to the yard, was working on it, and then an, a neighbor lady called and said, I can see some smoke out in the field. Do you know where that's coming from? And I was like, well, shit, I know exactly where it's coming from. (laughs) (laughs) And so we took off as fast as we could and um, got it under control. It ended up being about the size of the combine altogether, you know, like two or three pickups size-wise. But the problem was it was so windy. I thank God. I really do. I think someone was praying for us that it didn't get worse. Right. Um, so it's amazing how fast they can get out of control. Yeah, for sure. And switched today. So now I got to go down and check my CRP and see if there's any sticks that are still on fire that are maybe going to burn over to something that the wind switch, but that's my project after this. Well, I guess we're getting ready for going to Houston. You want to talk about that a little bit or not? Yes, Houston. So I'm leaving Sunday. Be there for the week. Looking forward to it. Um, Total Acre Conference, uh, or what do they call it, actually? I mean, it is a conference. It's all the... The Grower Clinic? Grower Clinic, yep. Total Acre Grower Clinic. Um, Sunday afternoon through Wednesday, early afternoon, and then we all head to the Commodity Classic, which I've never been to before. Looking forward to that one, too. Yep, me too. Huh? About the same travel plans. Cannot wait to get down there and talk to other farmers. And I know a lot of people had really good years, and I want to see what they're doing and have some good conversation and maybe a few adult beverages. I'm still limited to twice a week, though, so i got to pick out which day of the week I want to drink. Saturday, and because you come back Saturday, if I remember right. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, I was making a joke. I'm sure it'll probably be... 
five days limited this week or so. Yeah, I figure I'll hold it to a solid seven. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yep. All right. Yeah. So who's our guest this week on our podcast? Our I guess guests, while we're here. Yeah. He was a great guest. It was a great interview. I'm not doing any editing to it for a first. And uh, yeah, Bodie Kitchell from BW Fusion or Biodyne USA. Uh, they Biodyne and Wells Ag went together. I think that's where the BW comes from. And we interviewed Bodie because we, we've known him well on X for a while. We follow each other and whatnot and didn't know a lot about BW Fusion, but he definitely did a great job of filling us in and a little agronomy, a little product info. It was, it was good. What'd you think? I thought it was a great interview. I got some good information and I hope everybody enjoys it. Yeah. Okay. Well, Let's get away from listening to us then, and uh, we'll take it away with Bodie. Here we go. So today we have Bodie Kitchell from BW Fusion out of Fort Wayne, Indiana. Bodie is the president of Key Account Development. Um, how are you today, Bodie? Good. How are you guys? We're good. We're good. very thankful you coming on here. Um, I follow you on Twitter or X. Um, and Andrew has a long time as well. So that's kind of how I know your face and know of you. And that's how I learned about um, the actual BW Fusion line, which was, it's a partnership with Biodyne and Wells Ag. Is that correct? Maybe you can go yep, into that a little correct. bit. Just kind of explain to people yep. that might not know that. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> Biodyne is the, uh, they used to be in the marketplace. They were selling their technology, their Environoc line through Biodyne um, and moved into the West that are, are headquartered here in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, our lab where all of the isolation occurs is down in Sarasota, Florida. Um, and as we started to move West, we were able to partner with um, Grant Wells and he was taking the technology, using it on his farm. Um, also using it on customers around his area and proving out the technology um, to see whether it worked or not. Uh, it was at a time when Monsanto was starting to get into the biological space and Grant felt like that he needed to know um, and he needed to be kind of on the forefront of that. Um, so he tried it out, uh, had good luck with it. Um, and as Biodyne continued to grow, um, they continue to add technologies outside of just the biology. Um, you know, they'll, the owners will say, um, you know, maybe we got a little bit too distracted with carrying some of those micronutrients or other things. Got a little bit about away from uh, our core, with, which is just the isolation, fermentation, and formulation of microbes. And it was at a time that Grant was wanting to get into manufacturing as well. And so um, there were a lot of synergies there with the Bowdine team and with, with Grant himself. Um, decided to set up fermentation capabilities there in Fonda. Um, and we've now built um, a facility, two facilities out there, a uh, warehouse, as well as production for making our, um, whether it's our starters, our foliars, um, or the biology itself. Okay. So you got uh, BW Fusion is a family owned company or yep. 100% by farmers? Is that correct? What we say is, is we're family owned and oh. backed by farmers. Oh, right? okay. Um, okay. You know, we, we don't have, there's no outside funding um, oh. is really where that is, is really where that comes from. Oh, is, is, um, yeah. So there's uh, Gil Farley, TJ Weir and, and Grant Wells. Okay. And what year was the actual BW name? I don't think you said a year or 
but 2019 oh, is when it okay. has, when it was formed, uh, 20, uh, kind of joke and tell people that, um, I started with Biodyne in, uh, during COVID, um, I think it was early in 2020 by September. And I didn't know BW had ever been talked about or was a thing, but in September, uh, they came in and fired everybody at Biodyne and hired them, you know, five seconds later at BW. So oh. that was how the transition happened was you're no longer employed at Biodyne. You now work at, you work at BW. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And your main, the main focus is microbials, biology, nutrients, just overall fertility and making our soils better, more active. Correct. I mean, that's, I hope that's what it's for. That's, that's what I look at it as. And that's what, I want on my farm. Yeah. Yep. So really it it started out as just biology only. Um, Hmm. As the more we learned about the biology, the more we found that biology uh, may be a shocker to some people uh, isn't, isn't the silver bullet in agriculture that everybody maybe wants it to be right. Um, What we understood is, is we understand the capabilities and what those microbes are doing, but we understand that, you know, we still have to have zinc. We still have to have, um, you know, other micronutrients um, as well. And so BW is biology. Yes. You're going to hear an awful lot about that, uh, but it's also, it's micronutrients um, and, and humics, fulvics, amino acids, you know, that would all get lumped under the biostimulant category, if you will. Okay. Gotcha. Since you've been around since night, uh, 2019, 2020 was, what was the first product that kind of got BW fusion up and going and, you know, a real presence in the marketplace? Um, so probably everybody would recognize 401, um, you know, as the kind of the start, if you will. Uh, 401 was the inferro nutrient solubilizers. Um, you know, it's the one that you could see pictures on Twitter. You could see pictures on Facebook, Instagram. If you put it in for, you were going to have a more advanced uh, stand establishment, bigger root system, you know, the, all those things that we see if you use a starter versus no starter, right? That's what we started with. Um, quickly after I got here, um, you know, part of me getting here, I, I brought what's now um, you guys would maybe know as 365, which is a soil and tissue testing platform. Uh, And what my entire point of that, um, you know, coming here was to try to validate and to bring transparency to the biological market. I didn't think that there was a lot. And some may still say that there's not enough transparency in the biological perspective. Um, But I grew up on a farm. I'm still active in my farm today. Um, And, you know, really, when I put two hats on, I put an agronomic hat on and I put I put my farmer hat on. And the farmer hat says, the only thing that we care about is ROI, right? Did the product make me more money than what it cost me? Mm-hmm. Uh, from an agronomic perspective, though, um, and I, I do think this is important. I don't think that's the only thing that a farmer should be looking at. But from an agronomic perspective is, does the product do what you say it's going to do? So if I talk about phosphorus solubilization, I wanted to be able to see phosphorus being solubilized in my soil without putting, you know, exuberant amounts of phosphorus on. If we talk about nitrogen, I want to be able to see, can I cycle and make that nitrogen available? So when I came here, that was my focus. Um, I tested the product before I ever came here. Um, I I saw things from a soil test that really kind of blew me away. Um, And then from a 
yield perspective, the customer that tried it had a, he had a a significant yield response from it. So, you know, really I kind of tell the story how I got here was uh, I just wanted to see if I could test their products on more acres. Um, And that led to five, what now I know were interviews, um, not just meetings and, and a job offer afterwards. Yeah. So you talked about, or you hit on the agronomy 365 a little bit and I don't know a lot about that and I'm not sure all the listeners do either, but you started that and you brought it along. What, what is that kind of all about? What does that completely entail? Yeah. So, um, I, I didn't start it. So Jason Schley out of, um, Alpena, South Dakota started it. Um, and Jason and I have been really good friends for seven or eight years. Um, it was a kind of a total fluke deal on how we even met, Um, and, and he's got a unbelievable passion for, um, soil fertility, um, you know, biology, the whole thing, right? Chemical, physical, biological, how do the three work together to drive nutrient solubilization, um, and nutrient availability. And, and so, um, next level ag labs out of South Dakota is Jason's lab. Uh, he owns that, um, and what I was doing was basically doing what he was doing in South Dakota, but bringing it to the Midwest. So doing a lot of in-season soil and tissue testing, we use the Haney soil method as one of the extractions that we use. So if you're not familiar with it, it's using root exudates and deionized water as the extraction process rather than your harsher acids. And the reason I say harsh is, is they're acids that we use to get an idea of what's in the soil and what may come available, but they're acids that are not excreted by our plants. Right. right. Yep. Um, so, you know, braise, the malix, the ammonium acetate extractions, right. Those, those have been good for the last 50 years, but are they good enough as we move into the next level of, you know, really trying to understand what this nutrient availability is. Um, so we actually pair all of that together. We take a standard look at your soil test. We take a biological look at your soil test. We're looking at base saturations. We're looking at uh, pH. We're looking at CC. Uh, we're looking at available nitrate, ammonium, and your bray levels. Um, but we take a deeper dive and we look at what's the what's the respiration of that soil? What's the biological activity? How much carbon do we have there? Um, you know, and and we've taken things that we've learned from that. Um, and really on our side, we, it's what we've built our portfolio of products around is the largest limiting factors that we've identified, whether it's from tissue tests and building a foliar program, uh, or product around it, or whether it's putting these different microbial teams together based on what we've seen and the nutrient cycling, or sometimes the lack thereof. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is this something that if a farmer signs up and gets involved, do we do our own or hire our own sampling done and send it to your lab? Or do you guys have somebody come out and do it? Yeah, good question. So uh, it can really be done one of two ways. Um, when we first started, you know, we, we kind of thought it all needed to be done in-house. We needed to staff up with people and, and be able to do that. Um, and I think there was a lot of uncertainty in the marketplace as far as, you know, are we are we direct competition? Are we trying to get rid of, are we going to tell people never put dry fertilizer on again? You don't need any nitrogen. And we're certainly not that, right? We're certainly not that. 
Um, what we found in the last you know couple of years is there are a lot of outfits that are fully staffed up that do independent contracting on soil sampling that actually love to do this because they have the ability to keep some of their people on full time now rather than you know only being able to hire them for certain months. Um, so we have the ability to do some in house. We also have uh, third parties that we have contracted with to pull soils and tissues. And then one thing that we tell people is if you're a farmer that you have time and you like to be out in your crop, you absolutely can take them yourselves. Or if you have relationships of guys, folks that you're already working with that are willing to do that, then yeah, by all means, we're not coming to try to disrupt those relationships that you have. You send them up to South Dakota to Jason's lab um, and then what 365 truly is, is an API with next level ag to be able to pull in that software data that charts and tracks and trends your soils and tissues through the growing season. It shows you all of your nutrient relationships. So nitrogen to sulfur, for example, phosphorus to zinc, K to mag, um, K to manganese, iron to manganese. So how many samples are you pulling throughout the season? So that depends, um, like any good agronomy answer, right? Depends. Yep. Um, uh, it really depends on what the grower wants. So we have a standard program, um, and the standard program would be basically we're pulling a soil and a tissue in that V3 to V5 time frame. We're pulling a, a soil and a tissue in the V8 time frame. Um, so if, you wanna, if you're wanting to wide drop um, to be able to kind of see how many pounds of ammonium nitrate organic in you've got in your soils, Uh, And then we're pulling tissues at V12, VT, R2, and R4 on corn. Um, That's kind of a standard. We have guys that, you know, they compete in the NCGA that they're going to pull weekly tissues. We're certainly not pulling weekly soil samples, but we'll pull three or four soil samples as well as weekly tissue samples. And we have some folks that they only want to pull soils. And we have some folks that want to pull a soil with, you know, maybe a couple of tissues just to see where some of their levels are at. Yeah. So Andrew and I are both in the total acre program and we pull weekly uh, tissue. As far as the soil sampling goes, you can still do that every year, every two, every three, every, every four. But we like to pick spots um, when we do our tissue sampling where we have a soil sample. So whether we did that soil sample a year or two ago or, you know, whatever, we like to kind of keep in in check in that way. But could I – so by doing this, I I turn everything into this total acre program and get this info back. Can I just take my samples that I also get from them and just send them to you and and then you can track them as well in just another format? I mean – so we don't have right now, there's no outside APIs going with any other lab. Okay. Um, and the manual entry would be yeah. brutal. Yeah, um, absolutely. Bringing those samples in. Mm-hmm. Um, so right, right now there, there is nothing, um, you know, we have, <clears throat> we've got an agronomy team across the U S um, you know, that they work with folks, you know, we don't tell people that you have to work with 365 to be able to work with BW. Right. Um, you know, what we try to highlight is why we work with 365, right? Why, why do we work with that lab? What's that level of information that we're getting? But, you know, my background is, is in ag retail. I've looked at soil tests with just a Malik extraction to, you know, to a Bray, to tissues coming from A&L, um, tissues coming from SEAL, 
um, soils coming from seal, right? So very familiar with with that um, and certainly have to look at some of those, uh, you know, through a slightly different lens because everybody's got a little bit different way that they run the samples, whether you wash the samples ahead of time, whether right. you don't wash the samples ahead of time, <laughs> um, you know, whether you're running a forced air oven or whether you're running an oven that is, you know, just baking the samples, right? So everything looks a little bit different, um, but, you know, we can look at soils and tissues and really kind of help people, um, you know, decide which direction they should you know, kind of look at going. So my biggest thing is consistency. I mean, if you've been with one lab, try to keep with that lab. Um, you're still getting results. They're consistent results. The Haney test, I am huge on. I just have not used it or done it. I'm a big fan of it. And I don't, you know, to the to a normal farmer, and I mean normal by sampling every four years, maybe in five-acre grids or whatever, more than good enough. I mean, that's giving them a baseline that they can follow. But like you say, NCGA growers or somebody that just a little more into ROI or, or whatever it might be, I think the Haney test is definitely the way to go. Now, not having done it, is that a test that should be pulled every year or is that still up to the discretion of the farmer? What do you think? Yeah, it, it's always going to be, in my opinion, it's always going to be up to the discretion of the farmer. Okay. Um, you know, I, I can't pretend to know everybody's economic status and I can't pretend to know what everybody's goals are, right? The two of you have different goals and objectives. While it may be both trying to raise 350 bushel corn, how you get there, your tillage passes or every pass that you make may not be the exact same, right? So, yep. you know, we've got people that, you know, they're running these every two years, um, we've got some people that are running it every four years okay. uh, and we have some people that are running it every two or four years and are also running samples in season because for those that are not familiar with the Haney test, right. And this is where, in my opinion, it starts to get a little bit of a bad rap. And the reason it gets a little bit of a bad rap is because most folks are used to looking at a soil sample that is taken in the same exact two week to 30 day window, um, you know, in the fall or in the spring, whatever, same exact roughly time frame, mm-hmm. pulled from close to the same location. So they expect their soils to be, if I pull a Bray P1 in 2019 of a 35 part per million, I expect to see a 35 or a 37 or a 39 in 2023. Yep. When in reality, if they sampled on a weekly basis through the growing season or even a two week basis, they'd go bonkers because they'd see their 35 drop down to a 15, goes back to a 70, goes back down to a 12. It moves. Our soils are not a non-living aspect. And when that happens, we have cycling that's going on in a constant basis. So I think that's part of the reason that some people say, I don't even want to mess with the Haney test because it moves from today to two weeks. Well, absolutely it does, right? It's measuring the biological life in your soil. And if you have biology that is living and breathing and excreting, you're going to have nutrients that move on a day-by-day basis. Okay. Yep, exactly. And, you know, you kind of set the basis, you know, soil testing, soil health. That's a big thing. So let's talk about some of the BW products. Yeah, what about seed treatments? Do you have a favorite out of your lineup that you really like, and why do you like it? Yeah, so Environoc ST um, is a seed treatment that we've had for uh, a, a really long time. Um, we've had some really, really good responses from it. Now, I'm going to say that there's 
operational challenges that I completely understand, right? Some of those operational challenges are, um, you know, a box of corn, um, you know, $300 a bag, 50 units, 15,000 bucks. We don't know whether we're going to get a rainstorm April 1st that moves us back that we got to, you know, we might have really loved uh, 1366 or 1742 or, you know, 6208. But all of a sudden now we're outside of our our maturity window and we're stuck with that box because we busted the seal. Right. Um, We've had really strong data on corn um, with Environoc ST. Um, But I would say that it's not on the acres that it probably should be um, just because of that challenge. Right. Um, so I, I think that that is a, a challenge that we, we know that we have uh, on soybeans. It seems to be a little bit easier. Um, you know, we can go in a slurry with a, you know, whether it's an obvious plus, whether it's, you know, PPST, whatever it may be. Now, if you're sponsored by Pioneer, I apologize because no. they don't like me talking about uh, Environoc ST and PPST because they don't want nothing else going with it. Um, no, go ahead but, and talk. <laughs> but, um, you know, we, we, we know that we can go in those slurry mixes. Uh, we've done extended tests. Um, we call them viability tests. Um, you know, to be able to answer those questions is, is are the microbes still alive after X amount of days? So there's a lot of, we have a lot of acres that get treated on soybeans with that. Um, we're coming out with a new product. Uh, it's called BioBoost that you're probably going to be hearing about it. Mm. It's a planter box. Uh, uh, treatment is what it is. So it's got Environoc ST uh, in it. Um, so it's a way for folks to deliver that Environoc ST technology um, without, if you don't have Infuro or if you don't want to overtreat a box and run the risk of, you know, owning it 30 days, 45 days before you're going to plant it. Gotcha. Okay. One other question, and I'm going to probably screw this one up, but I know that there's something Infuro that is, is it fish? fillets or salmon that you guys are using so (laughs) i'm laughing because i had no idea (laughs) because i'm gonna do a trial of it a little bit i think oh okay yeah so um it would be so there's there's really in the amino acid world okay we'll talk about this in the amino acid world you either have plant-based or Mm animal-based right Uh, plant-based being a lot of soy hydrolysates uh, and your um, your animal based being mainly fish, right? So we have a a product called Cornworks that is heavy loaded with amino acids um, that will give off a a, a fishy vibe uh, or smell. Um, And and I think it's important to know uh, because there are so there's different fish products on the market where they actually take the entire fish, they ground it up, and and people may be talking like, wait a second, I messed with that three years ago and it plugged my planter from, you know, uh-huh. I mean, the kingdom come. Um, because that does happen with that. Um, but Cornworks is not that. It, it's, a, uh, it's a cold process, so all of the enzymes would stay intact. Um, so if you put it under heat, you, you lose your enzyme or your enzymatic activity. So it's a cold process animal-based protein that would certainly give off um, that fish smell. Um, and then, you know, we use that that base as our, what we call our amino product. Um, and it's got cobalt, molly, uh, nickel in with it as well. Gotcha. So it sounds a lot like the uh, salmon patties I had yesterday for Lent. <laughs> Just grind it up, <laughs> yeah. grind it up, make it into a patty. 
So I can yeah. just throw that right in furrow and I'm going to grow better corn, huh? Maybe I should do <laughs> yeah, a trial you probably, of that. You, you, you probably should, uh, you know, process it a couple of times uh, to get the it. chunks out of there. I'm not sure it'll flow through your orifices very well. Yeah, I know. Uh, you know, you always open up that can of salmon and my wife, she she wasn't home. And my actually, I went to my mom's to have this, but... Uh, my wife will pull out the, like the little vertebrae and stuff, and I'm like, no, that's that's the good stuff. That's where you get the amino acids. So just leave that in there. But it grosses her out, and probably everybody that's listening too. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so I did not know about that product. That's very interesting. It'll definitely be one I look into. But what I'm really interested in, especially being a strip tiller and no-till soybean guy, uh, is residue breakdown. I do not have a chopping corn head. I do have Kelmer stalk rolls, um, and they do a wonderful job. I have used different products. You know, I use the Monty's liquid carbon in the spring. Uh, I've used other, uh, like Residone from Brandt. Um, you guys have Meltdown. So yep. how is that? Does that have a humix in it, or is it just strictly uh, like a biological or a microbe mix? And then... What is best timing? Is it, and maybe I shouldn't be asking these all at once, but you know, is fall always seems to be the best, but can it be applied early spring if you don't have time in the fall? Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing warm weather just makes it work better, like anything, but go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, so meltdown, meltdown would be the product. Um, it is, it, it does have some organic acids, um, so it would okay. be fulvic and aminos. Um, and, oh. and the reason for that is to be a food source to help grow the numbers of the biological population. So there's no humic that's in it. Okay. Um, and then the, uh, the strains that are put on, uh, that are put in there, um, are really specifically put together for that residue breakdown. So cellulose, lignin, chitin, um, yeah. two of those, right. Cellulose and lignin are two of the most complex carbons that exist. Um, in our soils from plant waste and animal waste. Um, and what they are, those are a long chain carbon. Um, so really, if you think about, uh, I, I like to do this with even sugars, humics, fulvics, aminos, etc. You know, when people hear the word carbon, they think, you know, it's all the same. Everything's universal. If this is carbon, then this is a carbon and that's a carbon. And while it may have X amount of carbon rings that would make it a carbon type product. Um, long chain and short chains are not the same. Your long chain carbons don't necessarily serve as a food source. Example, humix, right? Humix would be a really long chain carbon that okay. it's more of a, think about it more of like a, a home, right? Kind of changing the environment, um, you know, bringing some stability with the nutrients, obviously uh, got a lot of negative charges. So it's got the ability to hold cations, attract cations, um, but it's not necessarily microbial food. Your fulvics are a little bit of a shorter chain carbon. So they have the ability to be broken down quicker or easier than what a humic does. Your sugars, that's like giving a kid a you know, Mountain Dew, right? Like you give them a Mountain Dew and you're going to see instant activity. Same thing with biology. If you start messing with sugars, you're going to get respiration spikes like crazy. Um, and then, you know, you're going to drop that. You're going to drop that back off. Um, so there's no humic in it. There is some fulvic. There is some amino. But again, its sole focus is uh, really the, it, I guess I should say we thought it was just residue breakdown. 
what we found because of 365 in the soils and tissues is we actually have the ability to manipulate our WEOC scores, which WEOC is on a Haney soil test, if you've never seen it, stands for water extractable organic carbon. It's the food source that drives the entire biological system. So when we talk about carbon, we're not talking about carbon from a, you know, a CI score perspective. We're not talking about carbon from a carbon credit standpoint. What we're talking about is the the functional uh, carbon that exists in your soil. So what you'll notice um, is if you have a good soil, a good soil is going to have, it's, it's got a plushness about it, right? It's not hard. If you walk across the soil and it's hard, there's two things that's probably going on. Number one, your cow to mag base hats are probably out of whack. Yes. Number two, you don't have enough carbon. Number two things that I can pretty well just guarantee if you tell me your soils are hard, those are probably the two things that are missing. And if your soils are hard, What's the result of that? Well, what we've seen is, is your biological activity is not as great. Even bigger than that, your water infiltration rates suck, right? You don't have the ability to infiltrate water and, and use it and store it. So that's why we care about carbon is, is because not only can we cycle nutrients better and faster with higher carbon levels, we can also be way more efficient with the water that we have. And one thing that we have found is we call it CSATs, but it's your WEOC divided by your CEC, um, and it's basically your carbon saturation, and it has a direct effect on what your soybean yields are. If you've got really poor CSAT levels, I don't care how many times you foliar, I don't care how many products you buy from us, you're going to be disappointed if you think that spending $100 on foliar or $100 on MAP that potash or AMS is going to get you the next 30 bushels so that you can have a hundred bushel beans. Um, and so that's one thing that we found is yes, meltdown does break down the residue. Yes, it does a tremendous job. The best, the best you're going to see a visual performance is shelling corn at 23, 24% coming in right behind it and spraying meltdown while your sugars are high and you've got some moisture in there and allowing, you know, warm weather and you're allowing that biological breakdown to happen really, really fast. Does the product work if you get away from that, you know, three days after the combine? Yes. Is it going to be as visually impressive as that that follows right behind it? And the answer is no. Visually, there will always be a gap there the farther you get away from the combine. Now, are you mixing any nitrogen in with that meltdown to help it? Nope, just straight meltdown. We're not. We're not, but you can. So in the very early days of this, um, the product was just 501. It was not meltdown. And so all of our teams are labeled 101 through 501. And 401 and 501 are what we typically use in the row crop space, 401 for plant growth promotion, 501 for the residue degradation. And we were stacking some UAM with that in the early days. What we found, though, was by pairing some fulvics and aminos with the 501, we were getting better responses, more consistent responses than we were if we were putting UAM with it. And that's really how Meltdown became Meltdown. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, if you notice, I keep looking over. I'm looking at my other screen because I'm on the BW Fusion website, and I was just kind of looking – at some of the rates and everything and pictures. But I do know one thing you had, I was kind of creeping on you here this last week to get some more info on you, Bodie, uh, to do this interview. And I was going back and it was a picture I hadn't seen. You had posted on, on X that it was a customer that had missed a little triangular corner in their field or whatever with, um, meltdown. 
and there was there was a, a very noticeable difference but i'm guessing that that operator had been out pretty quick right behind the the combine to do so yeah that one that one came from minnesota that picture came from oh, minnesota wow. um and one of our dealers up there and when i saw that you know i, I was impressed myself uh mm-hmm. we've got another guy in um I call it central iowa um, that did one of these trials right behind the combine immediately following the combine. And then I think it was maybe seven days or two weeks later. And the visual difference that you could see from right behind the combine to seven days was, it was, it was unbelievable. I mean, there's no other way to say it. Um, you know, it, it looked like that you had almost taken, you know, a, a match to the corn socks that followed right behind the combine. Now you could see the other ones were already, you know, they were breaking down, but the other ones were just significantly, significantly further along advancement in the breakdown. Well, there's got to be a, a definite advantage in nutrients too, after using this product, just because you're breaking down the, the stover and you're releasing your nutrients more. So have you, has anybody done any soil sampling before or after or during season to, you know, see any of these differences? Yeah. Yes. There, there's been a lot of work done on that. And if anybody's followed me, um, you know, whether it's on X or they've, you know, they've heard me talk before, uh, I talk about on our own family farm that we've gone for seven years and we haven't put any phosphorus on, we've reduced our potash applications down significantly. And, and the confidence, the reason that I had the confidence to do that was, um, you know, I, I worked in ag retail and I'm certainly not going to say anything bad about it. I had a great experience there. I learned a lot. But what I had learned was the correlation from my high phosphorus levels on a soil test didn't correlate to high phosphorus levels in my tissue. Right. And in fact, a lot of times it was actually inverse. My lower phosphorus levels, I usually had more phosphorus in the plant. So I started to question a lot of things, not to mention I farmed my dad and my grandpa uh, and they questioned things way more, right? They were controlling the checkbook. So they wanted Mm -hmm. to know financially. What I wanted to know was if we're trying to build to a magic P value, then in my opinion, then I should be able to export that into that crop that I'm growing the next year. If not, what's the point of building it? And so I tell people, you know, I was just coming back from, from school. Um, I graduated from Ivy Tech, a two-year community college. And I tell people I, I, I had zero risk because it wasn't my name on the checkbook, <laughs> wasn't my name on the farm. And, and I had all of the answers, right, as any some 20-year-old or whatever coming back from college does. And so I just kind of told my dad and grandpa, I said, look, if we're struggling this hard with understanding does the, the value of the fertilizer that we've been putting on, is it driving the response that we think we should be seeing? And if the answer is no, then let's just do a 180. And that's what mm-hmm. we did seven years ago. Um, you know, we, we cut back on the phosphorus and my focus has been, can I make it available through, um, through biological activity? We cut back on our potassium. Um, and, and again, we, we, we changed the timing to be more efficient with it, um, and deliver it when the crop needs it more so than putting it out, you know, six months or eight months ahead of time, just from a convenience standpoint. So we've made some of those tweaks, but in that seven year time frame, full transparency, right? In that seven year time frame, our yield levels have went up 40 bushel, um, over the last seven years. Nice. Um, and I don't mean, I don't mean, you know, we just happened to see a field that was 40 bushel better. I'm talking consistently. We're up 40 bushels over where we were seven years ago. And so I'm actually starting to introduce some phosphorus back in to my program 
because I want to make sure that I'm not limiting myself in the next seven years for the next 20 or 30 or 40 bushel and understand that, you know, the biology for the last seven years has done an unbelievable job at cycling minerals for me and making them available. Um, but if I want to get to 270, 280, 290 consistently, I know that I'm going to have to help supplement, you know, some of these nutrients uh, more so than what I have in the past. Well, and when do we get to the point where even us that want to build our biology and our uh, microbial life, where do we get to the point where we've done so much that it's we can't do any more and it's just kind of at a, a spot where then we need to do just like you're doing add some phosphorus you know start up things to get to that next next level so i think a lot of us get so into like oh we're just going to make our soil so much better and it's you know it, it's not going to take any fertilizer to get it better but no. there's still no. going to be that spot where we plateau off right i mean I agree wholeheartedly. And one thing we've said for years is we're not anti-fertilizer. We're just pro-farmer yep. efficiency. And I know that you can probably look at that and say, yeah, that was pretty creative that your marketing people came up with. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's really who we are. Um, it's Our focus is we're not saying you're never going to put nitrogen on. You're never going to put phosphorus on. You're never going to put potassium on. But with taking soils and tissues and understanding things that I didn't know about the soil and how it was releasing nutrition, um, you know, yeah. Do we do things differently? You bet we do things differently. Um, is it, is it bad? No, I don't think it's bad. I think it's the evolution that we see oftentimes we, you don't farm the same way that your great grandpa did, you know, 70 years ago, 60 years ago, we don't farm the same way either. So I agree a thousand percent with you is, you know, yes, you want to build your soils to make sure they're healthy. You want to make sure that your baseline before you even start thinking about biology. I mean, don't come, don't come to, to us or to any other biological product. If you have a four or five pH, okay. If you got a four or five pH and you're like, I'm going to try biology because this dude on Twitter says that it works and he was Mm -hmm. able to cut back these nutrients. Like I'm telling you, you're setting yourself up for failure. But in my opinion, not enough folks in the industry do a good enough job talking about that, right? Whether they see a snippet from somewhere, whether they see a newspaper article, like it starts at the foundation. You gotta make sure that you've got a balance. So you gotta make sure that your cal to mag ratios are in a good spot. Because if you're trying to put biology in a soil that looks like a pancake, good luck getting them to survive longer than a 10 day or a two week period, right? So we understand that. And we try to make sure that everything we do is educating and encompassing around that. And it's understanding how to deploy the biology in the best possible positions for success. Well, there's a reason that those areas in the corner of the field where it's driven on the most, those pancake areas you're talking about. Yeah, it's compaction, but it, like you said, there's there's no activity there. I mean, it's almost like dead soil. It's it's the first to dry up and blow away, you know. And you, out in the middle of the field, you might just be beautiful, but yeah, you always have those bad corners, and it totally makes sense. I I like where you're coming from with that. I I never thought of it in that way. Yeah, anytime you can lead with educating the the producer about the foundation, I think is a positive thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I started you know, following you a long time ago on Twitter and now X and whatever. But this summer it really was interesting to me. And like, I even turned on the notifications cause you had a, you had a plot and you put on what 2.4 pounds of nitrogen, no P 
you know, no, basically 2.4 pounds of K, I think is what I found on while I was looking back through. To, you know, what did you see for results? And did you do it on, like, some different rates, like maybe 10 pounds of nitrogen and stuff like that right next to it? Or Yeah, so bu- buckle up. This one's going to get a little bit longer. Um, Good, we got time. I actually, I had a guy uh, reach out from, from Twitter and, uh, you know, he sent me a uh, really lengthy email or, or text and was like, that's very misleading. You know, I, I, I can't believe that you're posting that, you know, it's clickbait, it's, it's you know, it's sales stuff. And, and I told him, I said, here's my phone number and I'm happy, truly happy to talk about, um, you know, what we did. So I appreciate the question and I actually love the question. Um Full transparency. This wasn't a plot. This was a thousand acres. And I guess we could call a thousand acres a plot uh, <laughs> yeah. if we want to. If you farm um, 20,000. Yeah, <laughs> it was, it was, it was, it was a thousand acres. And, wow. um, and, and really what, what we have done, um, you know, this is a, this is an operation. It's, it's in South central Kansas. Uh, it's one that I've worked with for four years. Um, you know, we, we did this with soils and tissues. I would not have attempted this without soils, without tissues, without having an understanding of where things were at. Um, and I'll also say this, the original plan was not to end up with 2.4 pounds uh, of nitrogen. They had a, they had a death in the family um, and they thought that they had the urea turned into the airplane. Um, the airplane did not um, receive that order. Um, and so we were stuck with a decision of what do we do now, right? What do we do now? Um, it was getting too late. Uh, and if, if you've ever been through South central Kansas in the summertime, uh, trying to predict when a rainfall is going to happen is virtually impossible. Um, two years in a row, they've had 2,500 acres of wheat completely failed out to zero. If that puts it into perspective with how difficult it is trying to time a rain. And so what we did was, you know, we build a program up front, utilizing utilizing biology. Um, you know, utilizing and, and, and crediting what we you know what we felt like they were making available. It was following a uh, wheat bean rotation is the rotation that it was following. We ran our cornworks and synergy in furrow. Um, so again, heavily loaded with amino acids. Um, as well as a small shot of nitrogen there with the synergy. And then we foliared three times uh, our amino product. Um, Our amino product was new last year. Um, Now, one thing that we can get into a debate, and I'm happy to get into the debate with anybody. The reason that the 2.4 pounds of nitrogen came was that's the actual pound per gallon and the nitrogen rate. It has nothing to do with the efficiency aspect. Now, this opens, in my opinion, it opens a conversation that we could go a thousand different ways if you ever wanted to have that conversation. In my opinion, amino acids, if we're delivering them to the plant in a complete amino acid form, we know that we're going to be significantly more efficient than if we're applying UAN or uh, ammonium nitrate or uh, ammonium sulfate or anhydrous, right? I'm not debating that. And I'm also not telling you that you don't need those nutrients. What I'm telling you is, is when you can deliver an amino acid to the plant, that's ultimately what a plant is trying to do. If it takes up nitrate, it's going from nitrate to nitrite, nitrite to ammonium. 
ammonium to a amino acid peptide protein, right? That's the conversion that happens. And that's what plants are trying to do. So the reason that we created the amino product, um, again, heavily loaded with amino acids, cobalt, moly, and nickel. The reason we stack those three nutrients is those three nutrients have a direct effect on stress with being cobalt, ethylene suppression, and then moly and nickel directly uh, involved in the uh, the nitrogen cycle, if you will, right? Nickel for urea, uh, molly for the conversion of nitrate to nitrate to happen. And so the 2.4 pounds of nitrogen is what the actual pounds of nitrogen were applied. If you look at the label, you look at what the percent nitrogen is, you take the weight per gallon, that's what the 2.4 is. The 2.4 pounds of K is we foliared a gallon of amino acetate, uh, which is about a 10 pound per gallon, uh, or sorry, potassium acetate. Uh, it's a 2.4, 24% potassium, 10 pound per gallon, so 2.4 pounds. So, and there was no phosphorus that was applied. Nothing applied in the pre-spread, nothing applied uh, fully or nothing with the planter either. So it, it was legitimately 2.4 pounds of in, um, but it was all delivered via amino acids. Uh, so it was way more, way more efficient. For example, and I'll just put this out there so you have the information, um, but we did some trials where uh, three passes of this amino acid um, on wheat provided the same exact yield uh, as what 50 pounds of nitrogen did. Um, and we actually had a higher protein content in the wheat behind the amino treated versus the UAN. So, you know, what we found was a quart was equivalent to 16.6 pounds of, of nitrogen. Um, but as far as pounds that were actually applied was just 2.4. Wow. Now, so there was fully applied, sorry. So was it wide dropped at all or was it all just broadcast? All, all foliar. Um, so they've got a, uh, they've got a, um, exact exact apply uh system on their deer um and something about with how their boom design was wasn't set up for y drops because the plan was to have y drops but then they found out that we they couldn't get y drops for it so then it moved to urea and we were going to fly urea on and then when that happened then we just went back with uh, actually what they used is they used a drone um and they foliared with a drone the last three shots or two shots. Maybe one was with the sprayer and then two shots with the drone. So that was probably a lower rate than like three, four gallons or less with the drone. Two gallon total of carrier, but a quart of the amino product. So one quart of amino is what we have found equivalent to 16.6 pounds of nitrogen and some of the tests that we've done. Did you use any full sun on that? We did. We did. Yep. And there's no nitrogen in full sun, um, um, but we have seen from taking soil tests behind it, we have seen uh, nitrogen availability come because of releasing the exudates. Okay. Because I did a little bit of the full sun amino on a small trial this year, and I'm going to do it again next year. I mean, I had plenty of nitrogen out because I'd already put down my strip, and then I did my top dressing. So I maybe didn't see that bump because I had plenty of nitrogen out there. Like 300 pounds. 300 pounds. 290. Might as well just say 700. Jesus. But, yeah. No, so that's what's something I'm going to try. I'm trying to get my my nitrogen efficiency down anyway, and I think that's what's really interesting about what you put on on X. And you you are great with content on X, and I, you know, think everybody should follow you anyway. Yeah, keep it up. 
I like it. Yeah, thanks for the shameless plug. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, on your on your your amino full sun, you know, I, I think um, you know, I think it's one thing that, in my opinion, we, we should we should address in the industry um, is I think there are a lot of intelligent people in the industry. I think there are a lot of people that are afraid to. Um, you know, to admit that they've learned things because they're afraid that their customer may think differently of them. Um, you know, if, if with what they learned was different than what we thought a year ago, mm. in my opinion, in my opinion, the approach that I've always taken is, is the customers that we deal with today deserve a better version of us tomorrow. Um, you know, and, and that should be, you know, that's what drives me. I know it's what drives Jason. I know it's what drives the agronomy team at BW is how do we get better every year with information? And so one thing that will, you know, that I want to address, uh, Andrew is, is, you know, what we learned was if you're combining full sun and amino together and you're running a 64 ounce rate of full sun and a 32 ounce rate of amino, what we have actually seen is it's too much stimulation for the plant at one time that if you take full sun and you ran it by itself and you take amino and you ran it by itself, you actually have a greater chance of seeing success of both products. And when you put the two together, one plus one doesn't equal three. Sometimes one plus one equals one. And 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 you can sit and you can say, oh, that's a BW problem. That's an industry problem. I can promise you that the more products you stack in the tank on a specific pass, you're not going to see the response, let alone to cover the ROI of that pass, but you're not going to see what those companies talk about. So yeah, this company may see, hey, we have a uh, a seven bushel or a 12 bushel advantage with full sun amino. We had a six bushel advantage. So as a grower, you're like, well, 12 plus six, you know, that's pretty simple math. That's 18, 18 at five bucks. That makes a lot of money. I'm going to do it. And then guess what? They're pissed. And I mean, pissed and I understand it, but they're pissed. And, and you could insert any other company's name product in here, mm-hmm. but they're, they're pissed when they say, well, now I only saw a five bushel response or I saw a three bushel response. So my challenge to a lot of folks is, is, understand what's going in the tank. And we learned ourselves. Like we absolutely learned ourselves. We've changed positioning on some of our timing of our microbials because of what we've learned. Um, you know, what we, what we talk about today, as far as full sun and amino, those are things that we learned um, as the product got on more acres and more environments was split them apart. And if you're going to run them together, we're testing it currently in South America. Eight ounces of amino looks to be the killer with 64 ounces of full sun. Don't go over eight ounces um, if you're running the pass together. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, this is something that we've been talking about uh, with a lot of our agronomy meetings that we're having. Um, you know, we have what's called advanced dealer trainings that a lot of our dealers come in um, and we try to provide all of the agronomic um information that we've learned, um, you know, in the past, but also, you know, relevant for the last year. So just want to make sure that I put that out there. Yeah, no, thank you. I, I'm going to agree with you hundred percent and I want to add something. So you, you talk about, you know, the, the reason people want to put it all in together is because they might not own their own sprayer or whatever it might be. And the way I look at it is I'm lucky enough that I do, so I can go out every day, 20 times a day, and just spray off a different tank full. And, and our fields are close where I can just drive right to them. So I can do a lot of different trials. And I know you're 100% right that mixing, 
you know, if one thing's supposed to give you five bushel and the other thing's supposed to give you five, and the other, you put four things that are supposed to give you five bushel, well, why aren't I seeing 20 bushel better on soybeans, for example? I mean, something yeah. as dumb as that. Yeah. But, but what I'm, what I'm just saying, like, here's an idea. So these smaller farmers that don't have their own sprayer invest in a drone. I have a drone. I spent, uh, I have the T30. So with the, the generator and everything, I think it's around 30 grand for everything. I think it's more than paid for itself already in two years, even though we have our own self-propelled case IH sprayer. But the way to try these products, I mean, if, if you're a 500-acre farmer or a 1,000-acre farmer that doesn't own their own sprayer, whatever size you may be, invest in this drone because it's such it's it's going to save you money by being able to try these different products at different times and different strips and i mean there's really something about it and i think that that should be the selling point and maybe it is i i didn't go to the many farm shows this year but all i've heard about is it's a drone 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 <laughs> so if they're not telling you that they should be and i will take my commission check from drone nerds or my whoever it may be uh just set, put me a give me a dm in my x account and we'll we'll get together but you know that that's just kind of something i've been thinking about lately and that that's a way to uh well alex harrell for example soybean record holder he he spoke at one of our total conference or total acre meetings, um, and he has three or four drones or something. He yeah. he said I would rather spend thirty grand on four drones than five hundred and fifty thousand on one sprayer. Right, and he's got a point. He does. So I guess I'll just leave that at that. Let everybody think. No, about I think it. it's going to change. I really do. I think it's going to change the way that that foliars get applied. Maybe chemicals. Maybe, um, but I, I think foliars for sure. Now yep. I think the one thing that's a caveat to that. So we farm uh, here in North Central Indiana around Grissom Air Force Base, mm. and we wanted to do a trial um, this fall, uh, looking at um, meltdown and looking at different rates, looking at different combinations with meltdown, and then being able to take soil tests behind all of it. And we got a farm that was, I don't know, a half a mile as a crow flies from it, and they wouldn't give us clearance. Mm. Um, now, they give clearance to an air tractor 802 flying 160 miles an hour. You know, the, the, they, they give them clearance to, to crop dust, but in the fall, they would absolutely not give us clearance. So, you know, oh. I, I, and I understand, you know, nobody cares about me and my problems in, in North central Indiana, but it was one that I was ready to pull a dr- I was ready to pull the, the, the trigger and buy a drone until, you know, everything we farm, um, my house here, you know, every day we've got four or five, uh, refueling tankers that are flying right over our house because we're right in the flight path for them to land. Um, Hmm. So it makes it a challenge. That is one challenge, I think. Um, you know, okay. as drones get more popular, maybe they get more accepted. Um, but I do think that those are potential risks. Uh, you know, that do you know that do exist out there. But I, I agree with every one of your points from an agronomic perspective around them. We don't have airports in Northern Iowa. <laughs> you guys don't. You guys don't have much of anything other than cornfields. Uh, yeah. A lot of them, and some bean fields, and a boatload of Casey's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Casey's now Quick Star too. Now that's the other big one. But in the the uh, airports we do have, they're just grass strips because a farmer owns his own airplane. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Awesome. So, 
So you guys are you guys uh, do you sponsor or partner with Iowa State and Purdue? How how's that? Yeah, work? I don't I, I don't know. Oh, because uh, I, I wanted probably the, I want free tickets. So. Probably the same thing. <laughs> and the D Rich D Rich eighty two I think on Twitter. Oh, uh, Dusty okay. Dusty Rich hit him up. He controls the Iowa State tickets. So. Okay. That that's your that's your guy. Uh, if okay. you're in Iowa, and you're a you're a Cyclone fan. That's who you got to hit up. Okay. Um, yeah, we do. Um, you know, we 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 work with both. Um, you know, root strong ag schools. Obviously, um, you know, Iowa State does. In my opinion, they do a lot of good things um, in in the state of Iowa as well as other things. Uh, you know, other areas around Purdue. Um, you know, I'd like to say that we sponsored Purdue because my dad was on the last Final Four team in 1980, but that's probably not the reason that we did. Um, you know, that was probably because they're a strong ag school as well. So, yeah, it was, um, you know, or, or or it might be because, you know, one of the owners didn't like seeing Pivot Bio flashed up at every every game, so he was ready to sponsor as well. So I, I don't know the real reason, <laughs> but, yeah, for sure, we do we do partner with them, and it's been, um, you know, it's been good for us. We uh, – we try to do a tailgating event um, at least one a year for football uh, at nice. Purdue and at Iowa State. Um, and then, you know, it, it also helps when Iowa State's, what, top 10 right now in men's yeah. basketball? Yeah, yeah and for Purdue's, sure. Purdue's number, number two. Um, yeah. So when you, have, when you have good basketball to watch, the tickets are easy to, uh, to give to customers for sure. <laughs> for there sure. you go. Um, well, Bodie, thank you. Do you have a website or phone number or address, email address? For people to reach you? Yeah, I probably should know what our phone number is, but I don't <laughs> have a clue what it is. Um, but www.bw-fusion.com. Um, there is a contact page that you can get a you can get in touch with anybody. Uh, I know a lot of the okay. agronomy team um, is, uh, if you want to connect with an agronomy team, a lot of them are on Twitter. It's always going to be Twitter for me. Elon might sue me. So I have to say X, but it's still Twitter for me. Um, but Mason Clod covers the state of Iowa, uh, Iowa and Minnesota, uh, Sean Nettleton's out of Illinois, uh, Buck Brazil, um, is out of, uh, Nebraska. He really covers Nebraska down to Oklahoma, Texas area, uh, Blake Hadley and Devin Baker out of Indiana. So they're all on Twitter. They're all fairly active. If you want to connect with them on there, uh, D rich. Um, I think it's D rich 82, but dusty rich, uh, on Twitter as well is our Western sales lead. Um, so you can always, you know, you can always DM, uh, him with questions or whatever, but you can always go to the website as well. Um, yeah, I see. Yeah. The website, you just, you can put in a general, uh, name email inquiry for and then you have must have an iowa office in fonda is that correct yep yep so we have uh fort wayne fort wayne and um iowa are the two i guess you could call them dual headquarters and then from a production standpoint fort wayne logan sport indiana and fonda iowa where is where all of the production happens so everything east of the mississippi all of our products are produced there in fonda everything or everything west of the mississippi excuse me everything east of the mississippi is there in logan sport okay and what's your dealer network uh, as far as footprint? Well, as yeah, I mean, uh, how did you get dealer? Do you have farmer dealers? Do you have retail dealers? Do you have uh, 
Who, yeah, who when deals? we started four years ago, um, you know, in, in, in biology, obviously today has become more accustomed than what it was even 10 years ago, but even four years ago, nobody in ag retail wanted to talk to you, mm-hmm. um, being <laughs> truthfully, um, you know, right, that you you were just going to cut their, their fertilizer sales. Yep. Um, I think some of them have, have come around. Obviously, you see some of them carrying some. I worked in ag retail. I know some of the challenges um, with that operationally um, and with, you know, training, we, we really pride ourselves, truly pride ourselves on the education aspect. And we typically go fairly deep uh, with the agronomic information that we do. Um, and so uh, a lot of our dealers are seed dealers. Some of them farm, some of them are just independent seed dealers. So yeah, farmer dealers, uh, independent professional seed folks, majority is, is what makes up our dealer network. Okay. Yeah. Do you, so I think a couple, few weeks ago, three weeks ago, I messaged you on, on X that there were some guys meeting in Mason city. Uh, did now it was there, is there a dealer close by to my area or was this just a, like trying to get a dealer sign up thing? I mean, I don't know. I have to know exactly, but I was just curious if why I wasn't yeah, invited. Storby <laughs> would be north of Mason City. Um, okay. I don't know okay. exact. Uh, Mill, uh, Lake Mills. Lake, Lake okay. Mills. Yep. 45 um, minutes from is me. where Matt Storby is. Uh, okay. We have a, um, we've got a rep that lives in Mason City, I think, maybe. Okay. Um, but whatever it was, I wasn't invited to it, too. Yeah. So you and I, we can both be mad together. Yeah, it was lunchtime. They were already popping into drinking beer and everything. And geez, I was kind of jealous. I, had to I take, can't believe you didn't walk up to him and say, do you not know who I am? Like you can buy my lunch now or you can buy it in the future. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I knew they wouldn't know who I was, but I did notice the backpack that one of them had on and I was with my mom and the thought crossed my mind to going up to him and, and saying something, but I, I didn't. I was going to name drop you, you though. I was going to name drop you. You should have. I will yeah, next you time. You should have went. Okay. <laughs> well, I I don't think we have anything more for you, Bodie. I think this was this was great. Um, this is I, awesome. I like these, especially when uh, when I'm interested and don't know much about you myself. It's it's so much easier to uh, gain information and uh, ask the questions that I think other guys would ask because. You know, I'm wondering the same thing. So that this was good. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate the time and the opportunity. And mm-hmm. obviously, I know we've been connected on, on Twitter for quite some time. But to be able to kind of put names and faces together, I, I certainly can appreciate. So thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you. you know, we look forward. Are, oh, the one question Andrew always asks, are, will you guys be represented at the Commodity Classic in Houston? We will. Okay. We will. Yep. We will have a we'll have a booth down there. Okay, we'll be there too. So great. Yeah, look 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 us up. I won't be there. I've got meetings in Illinois um, with some of our or a, uh, a dealer partner of ours there. Um, it's the only days that I we both could make work in our schedules. So I uh, I figured that the other guys could cover the commodity classic without me. Yeah. No. Uh, we're looking forward to it. So. Yeah. Well, hopefully, sometime we. Yeah. Hopefully sometime we can meet in person. I'd like to meet you in person and just have a beer and continue our conversation for sure. Yeah. Well, we'll get something on the books. Yeah. Preferably, 
preferably if I'm coming to Iowa, it's got to be when there's corn growing that we can go out and look at some good looking stuff. I, mm. No offense to your state. I'm sure it's beautiful this time of year, but I don't got any desire to come out there unless I got to. If you got corn growing, I'll be there. It's pretty brown right now. Yeah. <laughs> there's not even any snow. We did get over a tenth of rain last night, though, which is well needed. That kind of surprised me. Are you guys dry again? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yep. Uh, North Central. Just three years in a row now? Yeah, well. At least. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've still had good crops with timely rains, but there's just oh, we know, we know <laughs> yeah. we the market the knows, price. right? Yeah, we I, look at the board price. I know, no, but it, there's just nothing below grade. I mean, we don't have anything in our reserves. That's the worst part. So, I, I've always told all of my customers when I go out and and I meet with them or I speak, I say, if you hear the folks in Iowa claiming a drought it's time to <laughs> unload your bushels now get rid of them yeah yep i agree but it's yep, a yep. kiss of death if you guys catch a two inch or a three inch rain you're screwed and we're gonna look really good but if you guys are dry yep. it ain't good yep no, good. absolutely <laughs> well once again thank you very much Bodie. we'll uh we'll end this now so andrew you done Yeah, I'm done. Thank you, Bodie. Okay. Take care, Bodie. Thank you. Thank you.